This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Justice Department recently refreshed a policy for using a potent stick to prod federal contractors or maybe whack them upside the head. The Civil Cyber Fraud Initiatives Club is the False Claims Act. The Deputy Attorney General promises very hefty fines, her words, for companies that, for instance, fail to quickly report cyber incidents. For some advice on how to avoid these fines, heftier, heftier, we turn to Jenner and Block partner David Robbins. David, good to have you back. Thank you very much. Certainly appreciate the chance to be here. So this did take a lot of contractors, I think, by surprise, the fact that they could be in a false claims violation and those can add up quickly, you know, $10,000 per violation or whatever it is. What's your best advice for contractors to stay out of hot water here? It really did take a lot of contractors by surprise, especially because the rule itself that contractors have to follow requires 72-hour notification of cyber incidents. That's really hard. You don't even know what happened in the first 72 hours, and it's absolute chaos. So the way to handle this is be ready with policies and procedures for these worst-case scenarios. Have a tear sheet you can follow in terms of what you need to do, and also keep up with employee turnover. I know we're all experiencing it in key industries like IT and contracts. Make sure they know what to do, and go a step farther than that. Actually game it out run tabletop exercises, make sure these notification requirements imposed by government contracts, they're front of mind. And this can be really hard, Tom, because legal, IT, information security, contracting, they all play a role and they all speak different languages. That's why gaming it out helps you prevent from talking past each other. And if you have all those procedures in place, I guess in a legal sense, and you can tell me, is that it shows your intent was correct. It shows that you weren't willful in disregarding something. Should something come up, it shows you were serious about it. That's exactly right. The False Claims Act punishes two things relevant here. One is knowing misconduct defined at a minimum as reckless disregard. More than mere negligence, you have to be reckless in your disregard. So having these policies, these practices, and using best efforts to comply goes a long way to defeating that. And the other part, which goes beyond your comment but still important, is you have to submit a claim, an invoice a request for money. This is where your legal department can come in or your contracts department can come in and say, wait, until we notify anybody, let's pause on submitting any invoices. Absent that, there can be no False Claims Act liability. And there's another fuzzy factor in here, and that is that it's unlikely that, say, the contracting officer that you deal with as a contractor would be the one to call you out on false claims. These tend to originate with whistleblowers, either in the federal government or sometimes in your own company. And so you've got to do a a sell job that is apparent to those that are not part of the direct contracting process so that they understand and believe that you are trying to comply here. Absolutely right. And internal communications are often really rushed in these scenarios, given all the chaos going on. But seating those almost defenses, we've got our policies, we're notifying customers, we're protecting all of you employees who are rightfully concerned about your information. That's all really important messaging from day one. Now, you have written here in the Jenner and Block blog that this interim rule introduced the CMMC, the uh, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Requirements into contracts. Did that kind of sneak in or were people expecting that? I think the reference to that is that your cyber compliance writ large is going to be subject to potential False Claims Act scrutiny. And among the many recent changes is the CMMC implementation. I know that's on hold. They're rethinking it in the government. And what that actually looks like when it comes out again, we don't know. But that will be one element of compliance you have to have squared away if you're going to be scrubbed for False Claims Act violations by the Department of Justice. 
We're speaking with David Robbins. He's a partner at the law firm Jenner and Block. And most false claims act violations findings traditionally have been about pricing. And even those can be inadvertent errors by the contractor. But nevertheless, if you didn't give the government the right price or there was some calculation wrong, you're stuck. Therefore, the monetary damages relate to the degree to which you were erroneous in your pricing. How are they so-called, to say, pricing the violations of cybersecurity under this initiative? That's an excellent question, and I'm not sure anyone has a good answer for that, and that's one of the area of risks that contractors face. The government can come forward with novel theories of the price, the cost. It's different for goods or services and notifications, so you just got to be ready to roll with it. The best prevention, though, is not to come up on the False Claims Act radar in the first place. Anyone can suffer a cyber breach. As we know, it's how you react that makes all the difference in the world. And do they specify the mechanism by which you report? I mean, who do you report to and what is it you tell them? Yeah, contracts will have different information for you to report depending on the sensitivity of the work, the sensitivity of the agency involved. But generally, you're raising your hand to the contracting officer in the first instance, or if there's different contractual language, they may point you to other information security sites across the government. And Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco has been widely quoted here, and I quoted her at the top, as seeking to impose very hefty fines on contractors. That sounds kind of coarse in relations between government and industry, putting it that way. What's your take on why publicly she's using that type of language? I mean, it's not like they're going around shooting people. No, certainly not. Though It does reflect a Justice Department punitive mindset. When I work with the Air Force at a very senior legal role, our acquisition professionals and the senior most acquisition heads would go out of their way to say the vast majority of contractors are ethical and honest and try very hard to do the right thing. I think you should read it with that in mind. Should you come up on the Justice Department's radar with egregious misconduct? I think they're right in saying you'll be punished for it. But there's a lot of room between an initial cyber breach and hefty fines. And besides early reporting, what else is part of this rule that could invoke false claims? You have to have proper policies, procedures in place, certain internal controls in place, an awful lot, like many hundreds of little checkboxes and requirements you have to meet. There are self-assessment requirements. It is, as you know, and you've covered so well on your show, the hottest area in government contracting. It's evolving by the quarter, if not the month. And this requires an all-hands-on-deck effort to understand what the rules are and to comply with them. And now we have some or else coming from the government's mouth in the form of Deputy Attorney General Monaco. Yes. And of course, the big companies, the publicly traded companies, but even large private companies, you know, in the last 20 years, they have new positions called compliance officers. Sometimes there's a chief compliance officer. Sometimes they're, you know, equal on par with, say, chief counsel at some of the companies. But small companies may not, you know, have that position. It's expensive. And so is there a way that subcontractors can somehow glom on to the expertise of the primes? Yes, there are a number of trade associations and industry associations out there that share best practices for compliance. There's information security and cybersecurity focused events all the time. This is a great way to share knowledge and a great way to glom on to mentors, for lack of a better phrase, and see what can be learned. Because we're all in this together, a breach anywhere along the chain is a problem for all contractors receiving goods and services from any contractor in their supply chain. And prior to this latest initiative on cyber, what's the trend you are seeing with respect to False Claims Act proceedings in the first place? Were they on the rise already? 
Yes, they were on the rise. I think that's a function of the pandemic receding a bit and people getting back to work. I think there are a lot of things that just did not happen over the last year to 18 months. And I've seen already a rather substantial increase in False Claims Act activity, civil investigative demands, investigations. This will only add pressure over time as this policy takes root in the system and cause more risk for contractors. So while you're at it, tighten up your cybersecurity procedures, but tighten up anything else that might result in false claims, including your pricing mechanisms and all of that, your cost accounting. Absolutely. David Robbins is a partner at the law firm Jenner & Block. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. As a parent, no two days are ever the same. And let's face it, sometimes a little extra help goes a really long way. That's what's so great about Care.com. They make it easier than ever to find local, experienced, and background-checked child care to help manage your family's ever-changing needs and schedule. From nannies and babysitters to daycare centers and tutors, find help for long- or short-term support. Whether you need an after-school sitter or help with the homework, there's a large selection to choose from. And all caregivers who use Care.com are required to complete a background check before they're able to interact with families on the platform. It's so easy. Just go to Care.com and post a job for caregivers to apply. You can search for qualified candidates, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, and send messages directly. You can even find other kinds of care, including housekeepers, dog walkers, and caregivers for seniors. Find care for all you love. Sign up now and see why over 3 million families use Care.com. Visit Care.com today. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.